The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Irish man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Happy Saturday. Happy Sunday. Hope you're having a wonderful, blessed weekend. Hopefully you're on the the home stretch to to Thanksgiving, to one of the greatest holidays um, that I can think of. Hopefully you're getting ready for this wonderful festive period, which I'm really looking forward to, but we can talk about that in a bit. We have a jam-packed show for you today. I want to talk to you I want to talk to you about what's going on in your country right now with uh, the whole Roy Moore um, election, but I don't want to talk to you about what everyone else is talking to you about. I want to actually take it in a very different direction, because as you know, this show, I don't care about politics. I'm not here to defend or accuse or slate Roy Moore, but I want to talk to you about your response to it and certain things that have happened through these allegations. I want to talk to you, I want to raise an economic question for you about Thanksgiving, because you're going to see this question brought up an awful lot. Then I also want to talk to you about Thanksgiving and history of it and why I think it's a wonderful holiday and and just share some things that, you know, we should be thankful for in society today. But before we get to all that, where should we start? Well, let's talk about Roy Moore, but I don't want to specifically talk about him. I want to raise some questions for you. And a question I, I guarantee I'll raise one question that you will hear very, very little of. So Roy Moore is running for Senate. He's running to replace Jeff Sessions. Um, He's the Republican candidate. And unless you've lived under a brick or you've switched off every time you've heard this, um, let me give you some of the stuff that he's been accused of. First of all, everyone is just lumping every allegation together and they're entirely separate. So for me, when I look at, when I've researched these allegations, the first thing is everyone's just throwing everything together. There's actually three separate categories of allegations. There's really, really bad and possibly illegal and like criminal, even though the statute of limitations is up, it is criminal behavior. There's a second one, which is like, ooh, I don't know about that. It's not exa- It's not illegal, but it's like, ooh, we can talk about that. And then there's the downright bizarre. So let's start with this. So, the downright bizarre, which I find amazing. So, you've got this guy who's been accused of rape and, and, and touching a 14-year-old girl and doing horrific things. Uh, you've got a, 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 all these cases of people saying you dated 16- and 17-year-old girls when you were in your 30s. And all of a sudden, just in the middle, this bizarre thing of, well, you know, I remember I was out with Roy Moore and, you know, I, I was about 17 or 18 and he gave me wine. And there's actually people discussing this, and it's like, okay, we don't need to lump everything in together. You know, if you're a really bad person, and let's just say he was, and he did all these things, and he's actually guilty, 
it's like the drinking charge is like the least important of it. And especially in today's culture, you know, 17 and 18 year olds drink. It's just what happens. It's just a way of life. So that's bizarre. Let's just totally discount that. Let's go with the most serious, the potential criminal ones, even though the statute of limitation is up. The 14-year-old girl, the other girl, um, when he was a judge. Um, I read, did a show two weeks ago. What justice system do you want to live in? Do you believe in innocent until proven guilty? Or do you want to be living in a society where you are guilty until proven innocent? What's frustrating for me is I watch my friends, those who are close friends of mine who are just average, you know, Americans not in the public eye, those who are friends of mine who are in the public eye, and those in the media who are just so inconsistent for me. Question, do you want to be in a society where you are innocent until proven guilty or guilty until you're proven innocent? What's frustrating to me is, at the sa- on the same day I've seen this from friends of mine, Judge Roy Moore is innocent, absolutely, this is an attack job, this is all the Democrats, the only reason this is happening right now is because there's an election in a month. And the very same day they'll turn around and go, my God, look at Hollywood, they're guilty, they're as guilty as sin. Every allegation that comes out, I get Harvey Weinstein, like there's, I believe in innocent until proven guilty, however, if you were, let me phrase it this way. If you ask me to be a bookie and go, what are the odds on Harvey Weinstein being guilty? I'd look at the book of evidence and go, 99%. Because there's hundreds of allegations. And a lot of the allegations have quite a lot of details. But there is other allegations. There's an allegation that came out this week against Sylvester Stallone. There's um, an update in on uh, Kevin Spacey and the old Vic. There was rumours nothing happened in the old Vic, nothing happened. It's a theatre in, in London where he was the artistic director. All of a sudden, boom, 20 allegations have come out. It's not looking good. But it doesn't matter what the book of evidence says at the minute because there's no criminal procedures. But do you want to be innocent until proven guilty? Or do you want to be guilty until proven innocent? And where's your credibility? Because it should be the same. Justice, I believe, should be blind that you're consistent. Now, I will say this. Do I believe he did he did that to a 14-year-old girl? Do I believe he did things to another person as the DA and as the judge? I don't know. I will say this. It's not looking good for the one of the victims when you have Gloria Allred right beside you. It looks really, really bad. But I don't know. Honestly, the evidence I've seen, it could go either way. And that's been honest with you. I don't lean either way because the facts, full facts haven't come out. And also, the truth is, I don't know whether you can actually investigate these allegations thoroughly 40 years after. I don't see how you can do that concrete, say 100% he did it or 100% he's innocent. Then you have the pattern or the alleged pattern of dating 16 and 17 and 18 year old girls when he was in his 30s. This is not a criminal thing This because it was legal at the time and it is legal today. The legal age of consent in Alabama is 16. It's a moral question. But I want to take this in a different direction. That's just the headlines, because I want to ask you some questions. First of all, why? what happened in society? 
where I can never I can't pinpoint this, so maybe y'all can pinpoint it for me. But when did America become a country where your opinion of someone is directly connected to your vote? For me, when I talk about this 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 conversation or just British people stand on the issues and how you vote, they're two different conversations. One of my biggest frustrations over the last, gee, I don't know, six, seven years, is we have, it's just merged. It's just merged into one conversation where if you just say, I'm going to vote for someone, you automatically have to defend 100% everything they do, everything they say, and everything they stand for. I saw last year in the last election, I see it every House election that people get involved in. When they well, it's better than the Democrat. Oh well, look, you know they're they're you know you know okay the the they're you know the economy needs more stimulation or you know we need more taxes or we need whatever it is whatever moderate Republican is running we just embrace their decisions when it runs in presidency the amount of people who defended horrific things Mitt Romney had said on policy well you know we you know we we don't need to cut the government too much I'm sorry what. Because I was at the rallies with you and, and having conversations with you about cutting government and all of a sudden Mitt Romney runs in as well. We don't need to cut the government as much as we said we did. Can we not have an honest conversation going, hey, I'm voting for Mitt Romney or Donald Trump or Judge Roy Moore and that's my decision. Okay, cool. I got no problem with that. But why is it that we have to defend everything? Can we not say, you know what? Mitt Romney was wrong on the size of government. Mitt Romney was wrong on, on taxes. Mitt Romney was wrong on bum bum bum. Judge Roy Moore is wrong on ABC, but I'm voting for him. Okay, cool. Once you're consistent, now when you vote for him, and he goes against ABC, that you're still there going, hey, I voted for you, I like you, I, I think you're a good person, or you're my preferred candidate. However, on that, you're wrong. When did these two just merge into one conversation? Second question. What I find amazingly frustrating about these allegations is that the parties change, the people involved change, but the question and the way the Russian roulette goes around is always the same. And this is going on since the 90s. This all started under Bill Clinton. And if you remember, if you were around in the Bill Clinton days, the whole debate was this. He didn't do it. He did it. He didn't do it. He did it. He didn't do it. He did it. He's innocent. He's guilty. He's innocent. He's guilty. Well, he did it, but it doesn't matter. The question isn't whether he did it to the voters. The question is, does it matter? Does character matter anymore? Does character matter? Does honor matter? Or should is it time for politics and po- people around politics and the voters around politics to come out and be intellectually honest and just go, you know what, as long as they have a, re- let's do it on both sides, as long as they have a Republican beside them, I don't care what they did. There is no line they can't cross because they will always be better than the Democrat. And the Democrats come out and say, well, look, it doesn't matter what the Democrat does. It doesn't matter how much of a dirtbag he is. They will always, always, always be better than the Republican. Can we at least, if that's, the, if that's the bar, can we just come out and admit it? But here's where I want to take this conversation with you. 
Because I want to focus in, not in on the politics. I want to focus in on some of the responses that I've seen to this. And let's just take them part by part by part, because there are many of them. First of all, let's deal with our friends on the left. And they're a moral outrage. Oh my God, how could you support such a guy? Oh my God. Okay. Where is your outrage? This is my frustration with everyone. Everyone loves playing moral outrage when it's the other side. But when it's their side, they're absolutely silent. The left. You want to talk about Roy Moore? Okay, their allegations. We can talk about them. We can investigate them. However, where was your outrage at Anthony Weiner? Hmm? Where was your outrage with Bill Clinton? Where was your outrage with Ted Kennedy? You know, the line of the Senate? Where's your outrage? When have you ever stood against your own party? Where's your outrage against Hillary Clinton? Because while Bill Clinton was horrific and everything he did was sick in the White House and his serial list of abusers, Hillary Clinton is just as bad the way she destroyed those women. Where's your outrage? Because you're the woman, people who go around about war on women, right? You want to talk about a war on women? Hillary Clinton. There is plenty of allegations. Hollywood. Look what's going on. Where is your age? All of a sudden a Republican is running and has, has been accused of something and you're morally outraged? It's a bit hard to take when you've been silent against your own side. But let's move on to another part. Because there was one thing, and if you've been listening to this show or you've followed me for a long time, you know I'm not a big fan of this guy. There is an attack on Sean Hannity. Media Matters is going through their usual list of things. They did it to Glenn Beck. They did it to Bill O'Reilly. They're doing it to Sean Hannity. And they're just going to keep going through the list. Where they seek to silence people. Do you want to be on the side of people who silence people? I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. Do you want to silence anyone? Whether they have been accused of something and they are defending themselves or presenting their evidence or anything. Do you want to silence people? I don't. I will stand for Sean Hannity, even though I can't stand the guy. I will stand for Michael Moore's right to say what he says, even though I think he's a, an idiot. There's this attack, and we need to stand up and say, no, you don't destroy someone. However, on the flip side, there is this culture, and I don't, I've seen some videos, and I think Sean retweeted a few of them, but I saw this. Um, I, I've never heard of this company, Keurig or Keurig or Keurig, ever how you pronounce them, I don't care. They're a coffee-making machine. And they dropped him as a sponsor, apparently. And there was these videos going around where people were literally going on their balconies and throwing machines off. Is this the type of culture we want to live in where we destroy property? Even though it's our own property, it makes you look, dare I say it, like a snowflake. And I hate that term. Like destroying a piece of property because they decided to pull advertisers from a show. I, I just don't get it. 
bear with me because I'm going to ask a question that no one else I can't I very few will ask this question I don't know if anyone else has yet but very few will ask this question so bear with me here's the thing I want to really talk to you about what's your response to this because I've seen some defenses and I want to attack tackle them on head on from the right so the first defense is of the I want to ignore the fourteen-year-old girl. I want to ignore the the accuser with Gloria Allred because they're too questionable. The only thing I can find from my research is that he is guilty of is he has a pattern of dating younger women. But I want to ask you a question because here's the thing: I'm in my mid thirties, so I'm a couple of, a year or two older than what Judge Roy Moore was at the time. Imagine you have a 16-year-old daughter, and she brings me home. What a prize that would be, huh? So forget it's me and what I stand for and how I look. Just a person my age. Is that the type of society we want to endorse and just justify as normal? Is that the type of society? Because I, I will be honest with you, right? My goddaughter's 15. My goddaughter is a beautiful young woman. And she's a good-looking girl because she does Irish dancing and you see her in all the dresses and she's a good-looking girl. For someone my age to look at her and go, even let's forget the sexual part of it. Just let's just let's not go down that rabbit hole. Even for someone my age to look at my goddaughter and go, "Oh, I'd love to kiss her." is you can fill in the blank. It's just not right in my eyes. However, I will say this, because I don't know what culture you live in, but the southern people I know, and I would share this culture, if my 15 or 16, let's say she was 16, 17, goddaughter brought home a boyfriend, and he was in his, he was my age, or slightly younger, we'd be having, at the very least, a very serious one-on-one conversation. And when I say one-on-one, I don't mean me and my goddaughter, I mean me and the boyfriend. And it might end too well. And it might be in a very private place. As in, you know, in the middle of nowhere. You can join some dots there. Now, I want to be perfectly clear. Does, can people find people who are different ages? Is age only is age really that important? Full disclosure, I'd be a hypocrite if I said age was actually important. I am actually the opposite. I have a long track record of not dating younger women, but of dating older women. My last girlfriend was, gee, I can't remember, but I'm going to at least 15 years older than me. Full disclosure. Age is only a number. However, I didn't go, wasn't going, you know what, I want to find a 50-year-old girl to be my girlfriend. Age didn't come up. I just happened to be find her, and that age was age. I get in Southern culture where there is significant age gaps. I get that. However, there is a difference. There is difference is, if you happen to be out looking, hey, I want to find, let's just make it about boys. Hey, I want to find a girl. Okay, cool. And you, you're out, I want to find a girlfriend or I want to find a wife or fiance or whatever you say over there. I want to find me a wee lass. And you happen to find one that's younger. Okay, cool. Go for it. That's not what happened in Judge Roy Moore's case. He had a pattern of going to malls and looking for younger girls. 
Now, can we attack it? Should we? That's up to you. I'm not here to attack that. What I am is saying is, be careful what you make normal. Be careful what precedent you set. You heard last week, if you listened to last week's show, Tim Ballard of Operation Underground Railroad, how things escalate very quickly, how people just started looking at porn, and then all of a sudden, they can't get their kick from that. They go further and further and further. If we're now defending a 32-year-old guy going with a 16-year-old, is this? am I saying this about Judge Roy Moore? Absolutely not. Am I saying about the mass majority of society? Absolutely not. However, I am saying that there will be people who go, eventually a 16-year-old won't be enough. They'll want a 14-year-old. They'll want a 13-year-old. They might want a 12-year-old. That's sick. Let's take it on a case-by-case basis, but let's not justify this as normal. I also want to just bring up two other things. One was Dinesh D'Souza's tweet. When someone fights back tears over an alleged incident like this 40 years ago, you know you're watching a performance. We have to be very careful in our attempts to bring... In his case, he wants Judge Roy Moore, obviously. We have to be very careful what precedent we set and what we do and how we act and how we defend people. Because this tweet is horrific. If something like that happened a hundred years ago, you would still be affected by it. And for you to talk about it, of course you're going to cry. Am I saying she's all of a sudden credible because she's sitting beside Gloria Allred? No. Am I saying she should be believed? No. But I am saying be very careful how you respond to allegations. If something bad happened to you 10, 20, 30 years ago, it's still going to affect you. Trust me, I know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about sexual things, but there are things I've had happen to me in my life that I, that still upset me. And they're 20 years plus 25 years old. And any time I talk about them, I get emotional. So be very careful. The last one was Judge, Drudge Report. This is the headline that ran on Drudge during the week. Quote, Bannon after Moore's W-H-O-R-E. Is this the type of people we want to be? Is this the type of people, the example we want to set for our kids and our grandkids? But now, to the last question. The last question, I don't know how many people you'll hear say this today. The truth of this is, my opinion on Judge Roy Moore matters absolutely zero. The vast majority of people who are commentating on this issue, their opinion counts for zero. The vast amount of politicians, including Mitch McConnell, Paul Ryan, Chuck Schumer, all these people, the the RNC who pulled out of supporting him, their opinion counts for zero. The only opinion that counts, and that should count, is the people of Alabama. You have a choice to make. Who do you support? If there was one thing that this whole quagmire has happened of this election, if there was one positive to come from it, hopefully the judge is innocent. 
hopefully people who have put their reputations on the line still have their reputations. Because it'd be horrific to think of a judge actually using that and acting that way. But it's horrific no matter who does it. Here's the thing that I would love to see happen. America using this and kind of going, there's there's no reason anyone outside of the state should have an opinion on who's running inside the state, especially in the Senate. House is different, but the Senate is a different body. How about people look at this and when the time is right, you use this election as exhibit one in the evidence of repealing the 17th Amendment. Because here's the thing. The 17th Amendment was a beautiful, sorry, repealing the 17th Amendment would be a beautiful thing. Because it would get, get America back to being more of a constitutional republic. Not a democracy. This idea that you can directly elect senators and expect everything to be okay in a constitutional republic doesn't work. The states no longer have a voice. How amazing would it be if the 17th Amendment was repealed and no one outside of the state had a say on who you elected? It was purely the state legislator and the great people of this state. How cool would that be? That is something I think we all should work towards. Getting America back to the vision your founding fathers had and setting a brighter future for tomorrow. Something to think about. Don't go anywhere, America. I'll be right back. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn. On the Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. Freedom's Disciple On Demand. On the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. I just wanted to give a big shout out and thank you to everyone who listened to last week's show. It it was easily the most important show I've ever done. Um, It wasn't the greatest interview on my part. I I pretty much wanted to just let Tim talk. Um, I want to thank you for supporting them, for your prayers, and for checking them out. They are really a great organization. If you missed last week's show, we had Tim Ballard on. I shared his personal journey, the Operation Underground Railroad, ending sex slavery. And then I uh, had a lot of questions you submitted to ask him, which we, we went we got through as many as we could. I really appreciate it, and if you uh, could share it with your family and friends, because I really believe we have to be the generation that ends sex slavery. It's wrong, it's immoral, and it needs to stop. And it only stops by people like us sharing the message, highlighting the message, donating where we can, pray where we can, and helping support those brave men and women who are doing heroic, heroic things. 
Um, I want to take the conversation today on a different level. I want to talk to you about an economic thing, an economic question you're going to hear an awful lot of, or I hear an awful lot on the, the social media boards I'm on, and I've already heard it. And the question always is the following. Is it right that a business should be open on Thanksgiving? Is it right that a business should be open on Thanksgiving? Invariably, you'll have people who will then say some of the following. I don't know, it, should, it shouldn't be allowed, it's not right. It's not the way we always did things. It's not traditional. I remember in the good old days when everything used to close on Thanksgiving and it was quiet and no one did anything. Then you'll invariably hear the arguments of, it's unfair on workers, you know, it's, it's not right. It's, they have families too. You've heard these arguments. Well, I want to break some of them down for you. I want to address them because you're going to hear this argument an awful lot. And in case you do and you want to engage, here's some things that you might want to share. First thing we need to understand is if you truly believe in freedom, and this can never be said enough, if you truly believe in freedom, you have to understand the most important premise of freedom is sometimes the results of freedom really suck. Like, really suck. You have to understand that premise. And you have to accept that premise. Because we're not the people promising utopia. What utopia and people who believe in government is, they see an injustice and they go, we'll step in, we'll fix it, we'll make it fair, we'll make it right. We're not that side. If you believe in freedom, you're on, if you believe in freedom, that is not your side. We have to go, I believe people have free choice to do what they want. And sometimes, because people are people, and people are flawed, and people are not perfect, people will do things that suck. And the end result will suck. And it might hurt them. That's the number one premise you have to understand about freedom. People will do things you don't like. You will do things people won't like. But you should have the choice to choose your own path. Number one premise you have to understand. Second question very closely linked to it. Where's free choice? I love this question. Should businesses be allowed to open on Thanksgiving? Should they? Where's free choice? Where is free choice? Where is I want to do something? I want to open my business. Just wrap your head around this. Just this, because this is the conversation that we actually need to have. And in this premise, not in the, oh, there's the greedy capitalist just looking to screw another few dollars out of that hard-working man. No, that's not the premise of opening up on Thanksgiving. The premise is, should I sacrifice part or all of my Thanksgiving to open my business to offer the people, the members of the general public, a product or service they might need? Should I sacrifice myself in the return for making a profit? Should I do it? And all of a sudden we're like, well, should, it, should they be allowed to do that? Where's free choice? If you fundamentally believe all men are created equal, who is, are you to say they shouldn't? Economic theory. Next point. And let's just use the language of a lot of our Democratic friends and some of our Republican friends. Let's use the, they're just greedy. 
you know, the greedy businesser, the millionaire and billionaire, you know, you know, all those shopkeepers that open, you know, the little corner shop or, you know, they're all millionaires and billionaires. Just you go tell them that they'll, they'll, they'll have a great laugh at you. You know, the, the convenience store, the, 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 the gas station, they're all millionaires and billionaires, you know, because some of them may earn over a hundred thousand dollars in Baltimore or some may earn over a quarter of a million dollars a year. They're millionaires and billionaires. They're out to get you. Well, economic theory. Do you think that millionaire and billionaire who's out to screw you would be open to make more money, to gouge you even more if there wasn't a supply and there wasn't a demand for his services or their services? The only reason businesses open or offer products and services is because they think, hey, should we open and then pay lice, heat, staff wages, insurance costs? Should we open if there's no demand? Imagine everyone, you know what, it's the old way. We're not going to go shopping on Thanksgiving. It's the old way. We're not doing it. Do you think that millionaire and billionaire businessman who's trying to screw you and get that last pound of flesh would open if there was no demand? The only reason these businesses are open today is because some people want them to be open. And businesses make that decision. So if they open and you're not happy about it, it's not their business. Don't look at the business owner. Look at the people who are buying from them. By the way, don't target them. It's a great thing about freedom. They might want to buy stuff on Thanksgiving. They might have forgotten the stuffing. They might have forgotten the goose fat for the potatoes. They might have forgotten the olive oil to dress the turkey in. They might have forgotten something really important. You know what? And trust me, as someone who, you know, I haven't got Thanksgiving, but I have Christmas. If you turn up to, to, to Christmas and there's no stuffing, I'm not going to be happy. So those people are lifesavers in some cases. Or what happens if you're, you know, which happens and you burn the vegetables. You you know, you've no carrots or parsnips or whatever other veg you eat. No no cranberry sauce and it's burnt. You know, you need to go and get more. Those people are saviors. That that could literally save Thanksgiving. But let's go on to another one. Because it's unfair on the workers, you know. You're exploiting them. Let's raise two questions. What about those who don't have or get upset about Thanksgiving? What about those people who have no one to celebrate with? What happens if working on Thanksgiving actually brings them joy because they're actually around people? What happens if they actually choose and they get some great meaning out of Thanksgiving? of helping others, of serving others in the shop, in the convenience store. It gets them out of the house and not been alone. Just because you don't want the businessman to be open, you deprive someone else the right to say, hey, I want to work Thanksgiving. But also on the flip side of that, you don't see many businesses, you know, banks open on Thanksgiving. You don't see, you know, the the Microsofts and the Dell open on Thanksgiving. The places you do see open, are your convenience stores, your, your, your little shopping marts, your, your gas stations? And who are the percentage of workers in there, a good chunk of them, at times? College kids. You're depriving a college kid a day's wage, or more than a day's wage, because presumably he gets more than basic pay on Thanksgiving, just because you think they should be shut. Just because you think it's not right. 
that college kid might be living in New York City and his family might be from Nebraska and it's no chance of him getting home. It's a day to work and earn a day's wage to pay more of his rent, to pay more of his food that he doesn't have to. And it might be a quieter day, so it might be an easier day work for them than a normal day's work. You're depriving them of that because you think it's not right. Is that the questions we're asking ourselves today? But also, and this is important to remember, there are those while we're outraged at the local convenience store and the local businessman, so many today have forgotten those who actually do work on Thanksgiving and who are needed. Those who, of all people in society, arguably deserve the day off more than most. The police, the firefighters, the nurses, the doctors, the military, men and women serving overseas. They don't get a day off. Those who work in, in, in undercover, in the CIA and the FBI, who are, who are looking for terrorism, they don't get the day off. Sometimes the results of freedom really sucks. These are just some of the things I would ask you to think about if you hear that conversation and you want to bring it up. Because invariably, it will come up. It always does. And then it comes up at Christmas. I just wanted to address it head on and show you the economic side of things. Just to give you something to think about. Or hopefully, maybe give you something to think about and make these arguments your own. Word them different, point out different things and share them with other people. Because we're in a situation where freedom must win in my eyes. Freedom. But freedom can only win if we accept that number one premise. That sometimes people are going to do things we don't like. Don't go anywhere, America. When we come back, I have a couple of other things I want to raise with you based around Thanksgiving. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn. On the Blaze Radio Network. Disciple on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. As always, I'm on Twitter at Freedom Disciple. Uh, you can find all my work on freedomsdisciple.com. As I said if, over the last couple of shows, we've been changing the way we're doing things here, we're changing formats. So the show goes out fully live at uh, 12 o'clock noon, 12 noon Eastern on Saturday. It's on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play Music and Stitcher. And then also on a Monday we're releasing all the clips, all the segments in full. Um, so if you can't listen in full to the one hour show, or in my case usually an hour and a couple of minutes, and if you want to listen to different segments you can during the week, they're released on a Monday. I want to raise a couple of things with you about Thanksgiving. And I want to raise two main points about how you celebrate Thanksgiving. There are some of you who are listening right now who are going, oh my God, Thanksgiving is this Thursday. Oh, all the work that we have to do. And I'm going to have to sit down and eat dinner with blowhard Uncle John. 
And Uncle John will talk all day long about politics. And I just don't want to hear him talk politics. Because he, he's such a right-wing wacko bird. Oh, just, oh my God. There are some of you who will have the conversation, except it'll be with a, with a lefty. And you're not looking forward to that awkward moment. That moment where they are going to make you think the way they do. One of the saddest things I see online, and it happens more online than it does in person, as I, I spoke about earlier this year, been over there in September, is in so many cases, on all sides, we no longer see the human person. We no longer see the heart of a person. All we see is a label. And it's not even at times the most accurate label. It's just a label that we think suits. Oh, they're a lefty. Oh, they're a Democrat. They're a liberal. They're a snowflake. They're a tea partier. They're a wacko bird. They're a right winger. They cling to their guns and their Bibles. I know I'm not the person to deliver this message because... I don't exactly come from a family I'm particularly close to. But there's many reasons for that, and that's a story maybe for another day. But one of the saddest things is, how about we actually just look, stop looking at a label, stop looking at what divides us, and let's start looking at what unites us. How about start focusing on looking at the human heart? And seeing everyone as how we are. And I mean how we really are, not what we think of ourselves. Because most people people I know have a lot of problems. Whether it's with themselves or with their life. Or with their circumstances. We're not perfect. But I also see this line that frustrates me an awful lot. I see it in your media an awful lot because they, they have an agenda to push. And it's this great myth that America has never been more divided than ever before. I don't know how you'd factually prove that or I don't know how you'd factually disprove it. But this Thanksgiving, I just want to share, I'd ask you just to close your eyes and just think of something right now. You're a man or a woman. And you're living, and the year is 1776 in America. You're a foot soldier. And you're serving under General George Washington in the Continental Army. And you can pick whatever colony you're from, if you have an emotional connection, or you live in currently one of them. It doesn't matter. You can be from Virginia or South Carolina. And you pack your bags... You go serve under George Washington. You haven't got the right training. Heck, you probably haven't even got any training. You might have a musket, if you're lucky, with some ammo. You probably don't have any shoes on your feet. You probably don't have the right bedding. And you go off and engage the British Continental Army, the Hessians, the Redcoats. An army that has shoes, that has bedding, that has training. 
And you're doing it all for the cause of freedom. And you go on and get engaged and you engage with the Hessians. And you engage with them for the first time. But sadly, it doesn't have a good outcome. Because while you survive, you you witness firsthand, up close and personal, maybe the brother to the left of you or the brother to the right of you die. And then that call comes from General George Washington. To, it's time to retreat. It's time to, to, to pull back. And you're like, okay, we'll pull back. We'll regather, we'll regroup, and we'll take them on again. And then you take them on again. And you watch more of your brothers die right up close, less than two or three feet from you. And then that call comes again and you you have to retreat and regroup again. And this happens time after time after time. And during this time, it's starting to turn to winter. And while not having shoes wasn't the most comfortable thing, and while not having bedding wasn't the worst thing, because it was late summer, it's now starting to turn to winter. And it's a really harsh, brutal winter. And pretty much all the time, you're tired, you're cold, you're miserable, you're upset, you're mourning your brothers and sisters who you've lost in battle. You're feeling defeated. Because you've gone up against the Hessians several times now, and each time you've lost and you've had to retreat. And nothing seems to be going right. Picture yourself as that soldier. Now fast forward to the end of the the Revolutionary War. Fast forward where you've survived the brutal winter. Where you've stayed and fought for George Washington. Where America has overcome the greatest enemy of the day. It's overcome the military superpower of the day. And you have freedom. You have freedom. You can once and for all say you are a free man. And then you go back to the colony you came from. You're happy. You're skipping and dancing. You're going to go, we won the war. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. And you go back and you look around at the people you left. You look around at those people. And you ask yourself a question. I fought for your freedoms. My brothers fought for your freedoms. Some of my brothers died for your freedoms. I survived no shoes, little bedding, little food, with no training, not with the right weapons against the superpower of the day for your freedoms. How easy would it be to be, if you were that soldier, to be resentful of others? And when I say of others, let's use the statistic and let's get the statistic. Obviously, it's impossible, the statistics back then, 
weren't exactly accurate. But let's use the, the Adam statistic. Of 33% of American people at that time were pro-leaving. 33% were pro-British. And 33% didn't have a horse either way. Now I'd ask you just to picture yourself as that troop once again. Who has survived all that happened over those six, eight, ten months that they served. Everything they endured. And then they have to go home and look at someone in the eye who went, I fought and I sacrificed for your freedoms all the time knowing you were pro-British. You get to benefit from my sacrifice even though you were rooting against me. Imagine being that troop, that soldier, who fought and sacrificed everything they did and had to look someone in the eye going, you know what, I know you didn't care either way. You just hedged your bets. Think of the emotions that soldier and all the soldiers must have felt and all their families knowing what they sacrificed when they got home. Everything they sacrificed How do you think they looked at those who are pro-British and who are pro-didn't care? I just don't have an opinion either way. I go back to what I started with. America is more divided now than ever before. I have no way to say that's true or to disprove that claim. But when you think of that soldier, which happened quite a lot, the families of those soldiers... When you think of George Washington, let's just use George Washington as a further example. When you're rich, when you've got stature in society, when you're the one person in society everyone agreed upon, you don't need to pick a side in this. Just sit it out and wait and see who wins. And he risked it all. How do you think he went back to his farm? And looked at people who went, I didn't have a horse in the race. Or I was pro-British all the time. His sacrifice. How do you think he looked at people? Again, I don't know whether you're more divided now than when you were at your founding. But your founders got through it. Were there issues? Sure. But how about we take a lesson from your founders? How about we take a lesson from those great words of Abraham Lincoln? With malice toward none and charity toward all. I don't know whether you're more divided now or than ever before. It doesn't matter. The question is, what will you be tomorrow? Thanksgiving is an opportunity to start afresh. To start a new path. When I come back after this last break, I want to talk to you about the Thanksgiving and why I think it is a wonderful holiday. I hope you don't go anywhere, America, because I have some things and a personal story I want to share with you. Don't go anywhere. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Pat 
Gray. You know as well as I do that just pointing out what's gone wrong, it's not enough. We need to find some solutions. There's a gigantic anaconda of oppression that's squeezing the life out of the United States of America right now. We're being slowly suffocated and crushed to death. It's broken our moral compass, and without that, we're adrift. We're just blown back and forth by the winds of progress and social justice. Gray. Weekdays, noon to 3 Eastern, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Freedom's Disciple, on demand. On the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. Just a quick programming note. There won't be any show next Saturday because it's Thanksgiving Saturday. Y'all got better things to do. And I actually have some work I badly need to catch up on. And so we'll be back the first Saturday in September or December. It's only literally Thanksgiving Saturday we're going to take off. I want to share just some final thoughts with you about Thanksgiving and why I love it so much. And I want to share a personal story with you as well. You know, there are many things that I love about your history. It's it's so vast. It's so good. It's so bad. There's It's so interesting. There are good parts of your history, magnificent parts, also some parts that are not so good. But it always tells an interesting story. And the story of Thanksgiving is 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 really amazing when you think of it, um, and compare it to our society today and how we would deal with it. When you think back to 1620, you know, nearly 400 years ago now, 102 pilgrims stepping board on board the, the Mayflower, a ship that had about 30 crew. That's September. And as they traveled, I wonder what they taught. I wonder what their, their emotions were. You know, what, they didn't know what they were going to find to a whole new world. Obviously, there was a lot of excitement among the people because... There's that joy of, you know, it's going to be a new world, a new life for us. We're, we're going to get a chance to, to live the way we want to. We're going to be free. But I'm sure there was also a part of them that was a bit wary, a bit unsure. I'm sure a few people had doubts. You know, are we making the right decision? Should we just go back and, I know our life isn't great, but at least we know what we have. Is the risk really worth it? And then as they they took that journey, that voyage, just think about how many people, I know I wouldn't do it, if they said, hey, this, you're going to go on this ship, okay, and now they didn't know this at the time, but you're going to be on it for about six months. Because the journey to, to Cape Cod and they got lost and then obviously having to stay on the Mayflower that winter, that's a long time to be on a on a ship, and like a, even a big ship, like you look at the big ships we have today, like the big cruise ships. To be on that for six solid months, no. To be on a ship the size of the Mayflower, where there's 102 people. You know, it's I'm going to make a joke out of this, but some people can't stand being around a dinner table with people for like two or three hours. Can you imagine being on a ship with the same 102 people for that long? Like, you just want to just, seriously, just, I, I've, I've seen you so many times, I just go away, leave me alone. You know, how about their daily lives? How did their lives change? As people got sick, 
how did there how did that impact the mood was there any a point where the journey has taken so long you know the excitement of the initial couple of days of yeah we're going to have a new world we're going to have a new life did that wane off and as the boredom of just sitting on a ship watching and and seeing nothing by the way it's not like you could say well i'll sit on the deck and look out and see all the beautiful lands you know culture and landscapes and different lands no bluey green water gushing up against the 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 hull of the boat a sky that went from white to to blue to black kind of boring it's not like you had ipads where you go well i'm just gonna listen i'm just gonna put in some earbuds here and just gonna you know jam out to a bit of music on my ipad it's not like they had a kindle you know i just read this book and this book and this book and this book what do you do as they saw people get sick, there's only so many places on a ship, eventually you know there's a chance you're going to get sick. And then as they saw people die, you know, 102 people started on the Mayflower. After that winter, it was only about 53 and about 15 crew. At what point, it must have been tempting just to go back, but they didn't. When I read the story about Thanksgiving, you know, the first one, there was obviously very different ones um, going back hundreds of years. But these pilgrims celebrated their first Thanksgiving in 1621. And what were they thankful for? They were thankful for a harvest that the plants had and the harvest they had planted had grown because they were running very, very low on food. How many times do we be thankful, are we thankful today for food? Many times are we thankful when, you know, we have a a salad or dinner or a sandwich, a sub? How many times are we thankful? You know, one of the things we live in a society today where not only do we have instant gratification, but we have a large chunk of population totally ignorant to where our food comes from. We all love, you know, well, you got to go to college, you got to get a college degree, you know, you got to be smart, you got to have a better life. You don't ever want to be, you know, I don't know, one of those poor farmers, right? We live in a culture and a society that laughs at farmers and people who haven't got college degree because they're only dumb hicks, right? Only a bunch of rednecks. That's some of the language we use. The world can survive without another college graduate. World can't survive without farmers. They feed you. When I think of the first kind of official Thanksgiving, it was in 1623 and we celebrated rain. Rain. Because there had been a bit of a drought. And without that rain, the harvest would have probably failed. And they had a Thanksgiving for rain. How many times are we thankful for rain? I live in Ireland, so I can speak on this one. Never. (laughs) Ireland's a nice little country. The weather sucks. It's cold. It's miserable. It's rainy. If you said to me, have you ever said thank you for rain? I'd be like, no, not once. Do you anticipate being thankful for rain? No, not once. Um, But that's what they were thankful for. How our lives have changed so much. 
And then you move forward to the fundamental difference between America and the rest of the world and Thanksgiving. This is something that we need to emphasize time and time again. The role of God. George Washington, when he issued his Thanksgiving proclamation, he laid out what the day really means. He laid out its religious meeting by saying, It is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will. But he also spoke about the meaning of the actual day, the holiday. It is a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many signal favors of Almighty God. You fast forward to the next Thanksgiving, because it wasn't a yearly event, until Abraham Lincoln in 1863, when he spoke about a thanks a day excuse me, a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficial Father who dwelt in the heavens. Think about that meaning of thanksgiving and you compare it to today. What are we thankful for today? What does thanksgiving really mean? Is it just a day where we celebrate and we don't know quite know what you're celebrating and you just eat a lot. You have a turkey and you have some stuff and cranberry sauce. You have some cakes. You sit around and watch some football. And you count down the literal minutes and seconds to Black Friday. To where you have a day where you're celebrating with family, a day of giving thanks. Knowing that some of you This very next day, Black Friday, you would literally run over your granny to get 20 bucks off a TV. What are we thankful for? I'm really looking forward to Thanksgiving, even though Ireland doesn't celebrate. I've always acknowledged the day. I'm really thankful because, I don't know, some people have catched it in my voice. I'm not happy right now. In fact, in many ways, I'm hating life right now. I, I'm i struggling to deal with the news of never becoming an American. I'm really struggling to deal with the, the fact my dream is dead. And the only good part of my life that I can say I'm really happy with, there's only one thing in my life I'm really happy about. And that's been back talking to you each every week. Been back behind this microphone. That's the only positive part of my life I can find right now. And honestly, the one of the reasons, and I know it's this is all psychological, but I'm looking forward to Thanksgiving to, to reflecting on what I should be thankful for. Because... I'm sick and tired of looking at everything I I want and there's not that much and not been able to do it. I need to change my mindset and I'm really struggling to do that right now. I'm looking forward to a day where my plan to celebrate it um, is I'm going to starve the way your founders used to celebrate. It was a day of prayer and and starvation and and looking inward 
Because no matter how much we think this world sucks, you know, I could come behind this microphone and make a compelling case of how this world really, really sucks. And I think I could give you one hell of a compelling case. But at the same time, it's all about about mindset. What do you focus on? Do you focus on the pure evil that we see in this world, which there is a lot of? We see tyrants on the march. Or do you focus on the goodness that's still around us, the opportunities that are still around us? Just think back to those folks on the Mayflower. Can you imagine what they had to go through? Day after day after day after day on the same boat. Mind-numbing boredness. Look at the lives we live. Look at everything we should be thankful for. The technology. Facebook, Twitter. How easy it is to communicate with people. There's a large chunk of my friends who I would never have known if it wasn't for Facebook and Twitter. How technology has improved where I am at least 6,000 miles away from you. And if you're on the West Coast, a lot more. And I can literally press record on my computer, speak into a metal object microphone, save it, upload it to a website. And my producer in Dallas, Texas, instantaneously, like that, the minute I upload, it takes seconds to upload because it depends on the size of the file can get it instantaneously and download it. Edit it, do what he needs to do to it, add in the music and all the, the production. Upload it to a site and you all can listen to it. You all can listen to it on different platforms. You can listen to it on your PC, you can listen to it on your, your laptop, you can listen to it on your phone, you can listen to it on your iPad, you can listen to it on your Android. Wherever you want to listen, you can listen. It is amazing. How often are we thankful for something that we do several times a day? Go to the toilet. Just think of how that has changed. If ever, if ever there was a reason to live in a modern day society, it's indoor plumbing. You know, I, I, I remember my grandfather used to have to go outside when he was on the farm to go to the toilet. Just trust me on that. Just little things that we should be thankful for. You know, it's in the middle of Ireland. It's the middle of the winter. It's probably 30 degrees outside and it's like 3 a.m. in the morning and you need to go to the toilet having to get up, go outside when it's cold, it's wet, it's rainy. you got to go outside into a little barn and go to the toilet. You know, we have it hard now where we got to go across a landing, go from our bedroom to a toilet. It's, we should be thankful. You know, we have instant light and heat. You know, how many times are we thankful if we go into a room and we literally click a switch and the light goes on? That, for the vast majority of the world, 99% of the world, they didn't have that. You click another switch, you can have power. You can boil a kettle. You can put on a computer. You can charge your phone. You can cook yourself some food in the microwave. It's amazing the world we live in. There are so many things that we can get upset about, but our life has changed so much. Just think of even the food storage. Y'all are going through Thanksgiving right now as you listen to this. You're probably buying food. And maybe some of that will go into the freezer. Or the leftovers might go into the freezer. You know, save some turkey for another day. 
Maybe not. People didn't have that back 10, well, not 10 years ago, maybe 40, 50 years ago. Technology's changed. It's amazing the world we live in. Our health is getting better. We're living longer. Poverty is going down. We are feeding more people than we've ever fed before. The world is, there are good things in the world. I know personally I want to try and focus on everything I should be thankful for. Because as much as I think my life sucks right now, and in some ways it does, there is more to be thankful for than there's not to be thankful for. As I say, I'm really thankful to be for to all my family at The Blaze letting me come back to do this show. I'm really thankful to each and every one of you who listen each and every week. There won't be a show next week, it's Thanksgiving, but we'll be back in December. And I'm really looking forward to the future of this show. I'm really looking forward to, to trying to make a difference from you, with you. Because this is what I'll leave you on this day with. You're seeing the world change an awful lot and very quickly. You look at the headlines, which you may or may not some have seen this week. You know, I know a lot of people are caught up in Judge Roy Moore, which we discussed in the first segment. But this world changed an awful lot this week. I don't know whether it changed for the better or whether it changed for the worst. You look at what happened in North Korea. They're now calling for the death of Donald Trump because he insulted King Jong-un. You're looking at what happened in Zimbabwe, where one of the world's worst dictators is now under house arrest. I'm saying I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's a good thing that maybe he's going out of power. But who replaces him? What instability would it bring? Will it just bring another soft tyrant instead of a hard tyrant? You're looking at what happened in the Middle East. It's really, really treachery. Then you saw what happened in the cryptocurrency world this week with a a agreement between a currency called Ripple and an American bank, where they're basically going to use Ripple to transfer money instead of SWIFT overseas to Europe, which is going to make the transactions instantaneous. You're starting to see that world develop. Our world is changing. You're seeing the advancement of artificial intelligence. This world can be really exciting for the future, but it must have its foundation. A foundation that is not based out of liquid, but is solid. And that is what I am trying to focus on. I'm trying to take the stories of the day and ask you questions. I don't want to tell you what to think. My aim is not to get on and convert you all to see the world the way I see it. I'm trying to present this show in such a way that I'm asking you questions. Sometimes I probably ask you too many, but I'm trying not to tell you what to think. I'm trying to get you to think for yourself, to see where you stand. Because whether you agree with me or not, tyranny is on the march right now. Tyranny is on the march And socialism is becoming socially acceptable. Ironic, isn't it? Socialism is becoming socially acceptable. It is. You're seeing what's happening on college campuses. 
we must be the voices of freedom. We must be the voices that says, no, there is another way. There is very much a different way. It's not socialism. It's not any ism. It's freedom. It's free choice. It's the individual. It's that you have certain rights from God or your creator. But we also, when the time is right, be also be thankful for every blessing. Because as much as people want to despair right now, we're still here. As bad as tyranny is right now, we're still here. And as long as we're here, we have a chance. And that is what this show, with your help, is going to continue doing. Raising the bar for freedom. And standing against any side that opposes freedom. But not standing against them to destroy them. Not standing against them to shut them up. But standing against them to say, there is another way. There is always another way. Hey, this is freedom. Why don't you try this? Where you get to control what you do in your life and I get to control what I do in my life. I hope each and every one of you has a blessed, blessed Thanksgiving. Spend it with your family and your friends. Do something good. And be thankful for all the blessings you have. And I will see you back in December. And as always, we finish this show the same way we do each and every week. By giving thanks and by saluting the real heroes in society. Your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel and your vets. Those men and women don't get Thanksgiving off. They are the real heroes in society. And I salute you, the great American people. Never ever forget that the sentiments of the Tocqueville are right. America is great because Americans are good. America is great because Americans are good. I'll see you in a couple of weeks, America. Take care and God bless. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network.